Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Riding high, Nikki Haley seizes on fresh momentum. You join with me in these caucuses? We will finish this? While Republicans dismiss Trump's pledge to be a dictator on day one. I mean, it's, it's, it's entertainment. I think it was a joke. <laughs> and impeachment fever. Anger boils over in Congress. This was personal. This doesn't have anything to do with policy, merit, anything else. As the House barrels towards a Biden impeachment, can they get anything done? You have meaningful policy making, and then you have the utter depths of stupidity. Plus, balancing act, the president struggles to hold his coalition together. Trump just talks the talk. We walk the walk. Biden tries to convince skeptics the alternative is worse. And out of this world. I'm not talking about little green men or flying saucers. I just want disclosure. The push to shed light on government secrets about UFOs. Inside Politics, the best reporting from inside the corridors of power starts now. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics Sunday. I'm Manu Raju. Nikki Haley now emerging as a Republican presidential candidate with the clear momentum in the race, but for second place. And of course, second place is not good enough. And with the Iowa caucuses just 36 days away, does she have the time and the strategy in place to overcome the clear frontrunner, Donald Trump? Haley and the other candidates descended on Iowa this weekend ahead of next month's caucuses. Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are neck and neck there, but again, for second place. So what is Haley's strategy at this crucial moment in the race? CNN's Eva McCann is in Waukee, Iowa, head of Haley's event today. So Eva, tell us what you're hearing from the Haley team and campaign officials about what exactly their game plan is going forward. Well, Manu, her game plan is largely to talk about her time as governor of South Carolina, suggesting that that same executive leadership, that's, that's what she would bring to Washington. She also really leans into her foreign policy experience, talking her about her time at the UN uh, as preparing her to deal with these uh, conflicts that we have in Israel and Ukraine. But largely in these closing weeks here, in these last six weeks as we get to the Iowa caucus, she seems to be leaning into this electability argument, looking at polling and making the case to these Iowans that in a general matchup, she would be better suited to go up against President Biden than former President Donald Trump. Some of her supporters, though they like her, are skeptical of that argument. 
Others believe that she can pull off a political upset. Let's listen. My belief is she's the only one that can probably uh, reach that independent vote and truly secure the presidency. I tend to be more moderate than um, strictly to the far, far right. And so I think she speaks to that a lot better than anyone else. I wouldn't be here if I uh, didn't believe that she had a very good chance of winning it. I think Trump, Donald Trump's very beatable, to be honest with you. So to give you a sense of Nathan Schmidt, who you just heard from th uh, there, we spoke with him in Silver Lake, Iowa yesterday. He voted for Trump in 2016. Then in 2020, he voted for President Biden. He tells me he has no appetite to vote for either of them uh, next year. So that gives you a sense of the type of voters that Haley is attracting. Moderate voters, voters who are principally concerned about uh, winning, though to be clear, Manu, her policy positions are firmly conservative. Eva, Eva McCann in Waukee, Iowa. We'll see if enough voters there agree with that one you spoke with. Thank you for that. So let's discuss this all with this and more with my great panel this morning, CNN's Elena Train, Margaret Talla from Axios, and the Washington Post, Mariana Sotomayor. Good morning to you all. Thank you for joining us. A lot to discuss, to break down in this really consequential time as we head into this key moment in the race. And Nikki Haley clearly has the momentum here. The polls show it. The money shows it. The endorsements show it. She is, though, sort of setting the bar a little bit low about Iowa. Of course, the first of the nation, the caucus state, kicks off in mid-January. This is how she, what, how she described what she needs to do in Iowa. The way I look at it is we just need to have a good showing in Iowa. I don't think that means we have to win necessarily, but I think that means we have to have a good showing. So what does good showing mean for her to actually have any realistic path to overcome Donald Trump? Right. Well, I think she's recognizing and lowering the expectations that she hasn't really spent, I mean, in the last several weeks she spent more time in Iowa, but that hasn't been her strategy. I mean, DeSantis, on the other hand, has been kind of running this all eggs in the Iowa basket strategy himself. And so I think she's trying to set expectations, which is, okay, a good showing, have a lot of people still come out and support her. She is doing well in the polls there. Uh, she I think she's tied with DeSantis in Iowa, even though he's been spending more time there. And so I think that's what she's trying to say, that she doesn't need to win Iowa in order to still come out of the caucus very strong and head into New Hampshire with a lot of, you know, momentum still at her back. Yeah, and look, the momentum is there according to the polls, as well as the, the money. Just that you mentioned New Hampshire. They are, their super PAC, Haley's super PAC has spent more or in New Hampshire than any other campaign. Super PAC, 12.9 million, almost 13 million in New Hampshire and Iowa, their third overall, 14.7 million. That's just the Super PAC, not the campaign spending here. And the polls there also show a story that obviously Haley's going to seize upon. The new, new Wall Street Journal poll out uh, just this weekend, 2024 hypothetical matchup, Trump up by four against Biden. That's outside the margin of error, 2.5%. And then look at Haley, 17 points above Biden. Now, is is that an outlier or is that reality? But regardless, that will give her something to talk about on the campaign trail. For sure. Uh, look, it's sort of, it's a general election argument trying to be retrofitted into a primary campaign strategy. Um, but it's but it's her best play, I think. And um, and that is not a total outlier. There's other polling. I think it's Marquette that showed some similar sort of matchup runs. And what what the, what that survey showed um, is the idea that in a general election setting where you could capture independent voters or swing voters, the kind of people who went Obama to Trump and then Trump to Biden, that those people would swing back for Nikki Haley. 
hypothetically, mm -hmm. much more so than they were for Donald Trump, men as well as women, that this is not just a play for center-right women, but it's a play for men as well. And uh, Axios does monthly surveys with swing voters. Um, we're in North Carolina next week. One of the questions we'll be asking is about Nikki Haley. It's precisely this question. Uh, if she can take that argument into Iowa successfully and, and surpass, let's say hypothetically surpass Ron DeSantis, it could give her the kind of momentum. She needs something really exceptional if any of the national, if all of the national surveys are correct. She needs something really exceptional to be able to truly compete with Donald Trump. And I think although she's sort of soft selling the impact of Iowa, she's got a lot of, a lot riding but on look, her performance. Any of these candidates will just say, Biden is beatable, right? The poll, every poll after poll says that Biden is beatable. Yes, Haley may be winning a little bit by more, but Trump himself is winning outside the margin of error. Absolutely, and you're exactly right. Republicans are going to keep pointing that out. Look, elect me, and I can probably right. beat Biden because right. Biden is really just not doing so well right now. Of course, the Biden campaign is trying to make the argument, look, as Biden has said many times, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative, trying to play up. Look what Trump is saying about being a dictator, maybe for day one, but you know, raising those questions about could that happen afterwards? And you know, the interesting thing is that Haley's trying to lean in a little bit more now on Trump. She's not, you know, going for the jugular, but she has been saying, look, we can't replace chaos, speaking about Biden administration, with more chaos mm -hmm. in, in terms of Trump. So she's trying to show that difference and, and really make the argument that Biden did when he was running in 2020, which was who can actually beat Trump? Who can actually beat that person? And it's interesting because Trump clearly recognizes that this attack about him you know, being a threat to democracy is an issue for him. He's started to say it more increasingly. This, of course, is the, one of the main Biden campaign lines that Donald Trump risks democracy. And just last night in uh, New York, he tried to take this again head on. In the past few weeks, the radical left Democrats and their fake news allies have unveiled their newest hoax that Donald J. Trump and the Republican Party are a threat to democracy. Do you believe it? That's what it is. It's a hoax. It's a new, we call it now, the threat to democracy hoax. Because that's what it is. I mean, he clearly recognizes this is an issue, especially given all of his legal troubles he was charged with trying to overturn the 2020 election. That could, a trial could happen during the election year. He's on the trial tomorrow in a civil fraud case in New York. But all these issues, Donald Trump clearly recognizes a problem for him. Oh, definitely. And as is his campaign. Um, and I think that's why you're continuing to hear him talk about this and what he's doing. I mean, it's classic Donald Trump. He's trying to flip the script. We saw him when he was um, speaking at that town hall earlier this week with Sean Hannity, try to put it on Biden, say, oh, as what they're doing to me, they're the ones abusing power. Biden's the one who's going after me, a political enemy, and using the government, of course. Um, you know, many Democrats and people disagree with that, but that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. And he's continuing to talk about it because it is something that could be, it is a vulnerability for mm -hmm. him, I should say. I think that they recognize that the fears of authoritarianism mm -hmm. and um, what him abusing potentially the government, putting the Justice Department under presidential control, those are all things that concern a lot of Americans. And, and he's not doing much to dispel the concerns about authoritarianism. authoritarianism. Listen to just how he was... Sean Hannity tried to get him to take it off the table last week in this interview that happened in Fox News. He wouldn't take it off the table about being a dictator, even in fact saying that he would be a dictator on day one. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay. that
The exchange went on for much longer than that. He wouldn't exactly take it off the table. I asked a lot of Republicans, people who are not necessarily Trump fans, about that. Whether they had any concerns about this potential, these, this talk about dictatorship, is what they said. It's entertainment. And, you know, you, we've been around uh, him long enough. It's entertaining. I think it was a joke. <laughs> I think that's probably just fairly uh, kind of uh, typical Trump rhetoric. We all know Trump uh, uses uh, unique expressions when he explains things. Sometimes a little baby will, will spout off all sorts of words that you don't take them either literally or seriously. And that's a bit of what we're seeing, I think, from President Trump and his campaign right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even Romney, who's no Trump fan, says that, you know, this is, don't take him literally or seriously. A little bit of a repeat of what we saw at his time in office. Yeah, if you're basing your all of your judgment about what kind of a president Trump would be on one comment that he made uh, with Sean Hannity, that's, that's probably not the way I'd go as a voter trying to inform myself. You can look at his four-year record and in his conduct um, leading up to it during and after January 6th and help make those decisions. I mean, look I mean, at he, action. He said he would suspend the Constitution. I mean, he would call for suspending the Constitution. So this would be in line with some of the things. But as you said there, Republicans not too concerned. Okay, there's going to be a lot more of that to discuss. And be sure to tune in Tuesday and Wednesday night for CNN's Town Halls with Governor Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. The candidates will take questions live in Iowa. Coming up, House Republicans find their narrow majority getting even narrower amid the resignation of Kevin McCarthy. How that is reopening old wounds. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Your question is, just give up and quit. I'm the wrong guy to ask that question to. I never quit. 
what a difference a few months makes. Kevin McCarthy was the most powerful Republican in Washington less than three months ago. Now, in just a matter of a couple weeks, he will no longer be a member of Congress, resigning his seat after 17 years in the House, a rapid rise to the GOP leadership, and then a tumultuous year as Speaker, leading a razor-thin majority in a badly divided conference. Now, as Speaker and Republican leader, he was very chatty with the press and sometimes quite combative, as I witnessed firsthand. The votes just aren't there. Why has it been so hard for you? Have you spent any time with my conference? But I mean, you know what's amazing to me? Here we are with one of the biggest things going on on the spending, and I can always count on you for the most inappropriate question. Why don't you ask the other questions? Why don't you I want do to ask? Brown, no, curious, you don't. You I'm never you change you, your position. I never changed my position. You, you don't. Told you don't. Days ago. You know what's interesting to me? Do you support the Texas lawsuit too? Do you regret supporting that lawsuit no, that would have been no, validated? No, no, I don't. You know why? Because well, it's going it to the court. in a number of battleground states. All right, tell me when you're done with your questions and when I can answer. What does that do to the 18 members from Biden districts? Well, that all the Democrats voted to try to bring chaos? I think No, I mean, that that you guys can't govern, that you can't govern. And, of course, that was after he was ousted as Speaker, and they were struggling to get someone, eventually Mike Johnson, to become Speaker. Wow, that was just, it's, ama- it's amazing this has all happened in the last couple of months. Just, Mar- Mariana, you walked the halls with me on the Hill, you're on the House side, talking to a lot of the members. What impact does his departure have on the House, and how are members dealing with this aftermath? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it, he, his impact will be felt so much more outside of the halls of the House rather than inside. And the reason why is because everyone says his one thing that he has been excellent at, and there is proof, even though, you know, he won the majority. It was way, way, way more narrow than even he expected. But still, he has, he has such a grasp politically on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. Who should I recruit? Who makes sense in a district? Who can actually get there? And even tried to play this last year, trying to oust some of these more extreme Republicans who just didn't want to govern. So that is going to be the big impact, not to mention the fact fundraising. Yeah. My God. That is the first thing that House Republicans would say was, now what do we do? Yeah. And look, Mike Johnson is trying to fill that void. The challenge is, can he do that? But you're right. He really knew how to, he got the Republicans back to the majority, to his credit. Not as big of a majority as he wanted, which is why he ultimately got pushed out by the people who didn't want him there. And there's still this anger about all this. Yes, it happened a couple of months ago, and yes, there's a new Speaker of the House, but I spent the last week talking to a lot of those Republicans who are allied with Kevin McCarthy. They're not happy about the aftermath. What do you say to the eight Republicans who voted him out? Big screw-up. Just completely inane behavior. It's a great loss to the Republican Party and to the House in general, um, and a personal loss for me. And am I upset with the Eight Republicans that join all the Democrats to remove him? Yeah, absolutely. I'm upset with them. We are worse off for eight Republicans voting with all the Democrats to oust the most effective Republican speaker we've had in a long time. There's also no regrets among those eight Republicans. <laughs> I asked Tim Burchett, one of the eight, to vote him out. He said, yeah, well, Kevin McCarthy will go make a lot of money. So, look, this is obviously going to be a problem as they head into the election year for the new speaker managing these divisions and the motions that are still pretty raw here.
Oh, totally. And I think it's, and the other big thing is, of course, their completely narrow majority. Now they only have one seat um, and we saw them struggle when they had four. And so I think that's going to be a huge issue. And I know from the people that I talk to, they recognize they're not going to be able to get anything done, um, particularly before the elections really, you know, 2024 election cycle really ramps up. And I agree with Mariana's point. I think that as we get closer to the elections, that's really where you're going to see a lot of this impact, mm-hmm. impact felt. How will they be able to maintain the majority? Can they grow it? All of these things that people knew McCarthy did very well, that it's unclear how Johnson will do. That's the thing. Some of the frustrations are because you're seeing the new speaker faced with the same choices Kevin McCarthy was faced mm-hmm. with and really unable to do anything differently or better, but not having you know the sort of sword held over his head all the time right. so for those members that were mccarthy loyalists they're like hey what di- what Ex- difference they is suddenly there are agreeing to higher spending levels right. that mccarthy agreed to they agreed to had to back off that and made these threats from the right now they're they're okay with that they they're he had johnson had to keep the government open for a short period right. of time okay with that, not pushing him out of office. We'll see if that ultimately happens. McCarthy was on CBS this morning talking about Trump. He said that he would support Trump. He told me a couple of weeks ago something very similar. He said yeah. he would support Trump. I asked him as an official endorsement. He said we kind of hemmed and hawed about it, but he said he supports Trump. But he also had a bit of a warning for Trump. What President Trump needs to do in this campaign, it needs to be about rebuilding, restoring, renewing America. It can't be about revenge. He's talking about retribution day yeah, in, day yeah. out. He needs to stop that. He needs to stop that. Will Trump listen? No. <laughs> Definitely not, especially um, not to Kevin McCarthy. It is interesting, though. I mean, you can tell that Kevin McCarthy is far more candid now, that he doesn't have the weight of the House conference, GOP conference on his back. Um, but no, I mean, Donald Trump very much. He's already, their relationship has become far more tense and strained over the past several months, Mm -hmm. um, is not going to listen to McCarthy. You know, we talked a little bit about the McCarthy impact down ticket, how that's going to happen in the House races. I had a chance to talk to actually the chairman of the House GOP campaign committee, Richard Hudson of North Carolina. He's trying to keep the Republican majority despite facing a very difficult map with redistricting and the like, and the prospects of the fact that Kevin McCarthy is no longer there to be that prolific fundraising presence that he was. Hudson, though, sort of said he kind of brushed it off and said that they believe they'll be in a strong position because of Donald Trump. Would you guys be able to keep the majority? Oh, yeah. We're going to grow the majority. Mm-hmm. No question. That's a bullish assessment, given the map. Well, you look at you look at the polling out there. The American people are fed up with Joe Biden and his policies. We won 15 seats. We beat 15 Democrats in 2020 with Trump at the top of the ticket. And uh, I think he'll do better this time than they did in 2020. I mean, is he right about that? I mean, there are 18 Biden district Democrats. Is Trump going to help them grow the majority? I mean, if you ask them, they will say no, (laughs) right? They they don't want to run with Trump. They want to... McCarthy, actually, in that clip, was... that's It showed his... How tactful he is politically. Because we saw in the 22 midterms where a lot of those vulnerable members became members of Congress because they were sticking to, this is what we want to build, this is what we want to do, this is how we want to govern. That question of governance, though, really impacted many of those members. In October, when they literally didn't do anything, couldn't pick a speaker, that's when those members were also hearing, oh my God, we're, we're hearing from our constituents that we can't do anything. This is bad for us. And you know, bringing that Trump question, especially in places like New York, California, where 
Trump actually ignites the Democratic base, that's where you're seeing a lot of yeah. the both Democratic and Republican playbook going through those two states. And Trump, I don't think, is really going mean, to help there. Mitch McConnell will tell you that it was Donald Trump in 2022 that essentially cost them their chance at the Senate Republican majority. He was on the campaign trail late campaigning in some of these swing states. He also propped up some candidates who were weak and sort of flamed out and petered out during the election. But it's a different calculation among the House Republicans, probably because of the fact of the districts that they represent, which are very Trump heavy districts. I'm not at all surprised to hear the head of the National Republican Congressional Committee make that argument. I mean, what's the argument he's going to make, right? If he can't project confidence about it, who will? Uh, you can, it's an argument that some senators, I think, have um, a sort of better fact basis to make it on because those voters are looking at statewide races. They may be swingable states or the states on the map may lean a little more red. Uh, in those states, it can be a referendum against Joe Biden. I think in the swing congressional districts, uh, the ones that are um, that are really in play, uh, it is going to be a Trump versus Biden contest just as much as it is a Biden versus Biden yeah, contest. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, look, that's the big thing about the House races. Top of the ticket will drive a lot. It'll drive a lot of turnout. It'll impact the House. It'll impact the Senate. We'll see. Up next, House Republicans prepare to turn up the heat on President Biden as his son steers down more federal charges. From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese American culture and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Hunter Biden facing nine new federal charges with prosecutors alleging the president's son spent thousands of dollars on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, all while dodging his taxes. The charges coming after Hunter was subpoenaed to testify behind closed doors before the House as part of the GOP's impeachment inquiry into his father, Joe Biden. Now, Hunter's lawyers say he would be happy to honor that request to testify, but only as part of a public hearing. And even as Republicans have yet to prove that Joe Biden acted corruptly or profited from his son's business dealings, Speaker Johnson took to a very friendly audience this morning where he said this about the impeachment inquiry. Next to the declaration of war, I think impeachment is probably the heaviest power that the Congress has, the House specifically, under the Constitution. So we have to be very methodical and careful and follow the facts where they lead. The impeachment inquiry is the next necessary step because the White House is now stonewalling our investigation. So look, they have announced an impeachment inquiry back in September under then-Speaker McCarthy. They don't need a vote. They decided to have a vote this week to show forward momentum, show progress. Speaker Johnson says that they can make a better argument in court for documents. We'll see. But the challenge here is that once you go down the road of an impeachment inquiry vote, you have to almost sort of impeach the guy. Otherwise... It'll look like you're letting him off the hook. And that's politically, that's not what Republicans want. Exactly. They definitely, definitely do not want that, especially when you talk to the vulnerable Republicans who just don't even want to utter the word impeachment, right? They, what they really want right now, everyone seems, at least on the Republican side, to be okay with this kind of green lighting and 
impeachment inquiry? Because as you point out, and many Republicans have said, you know, if we want to subpoena someone, it, it is our right. We have that oversight capability. And also, if we want to go to court, we need this to hold up in court. That's the Republican argument. And that's what some former Republicans are saying. By the way, that court fight saying. would take all next year, too, until yes. the next Congress. Yes. And who knows, the president will be at that time, too, right? Exactly, exactly. But still, you are exactly right. If you are greenlighting this, that means you're going to have to answer the ultimate question at the end of the day whenever that comes. That's absolutely not what vulnerable Republicans want to do, especially the closer you get yeah. to November. Everything gets harder in an election year on Capitol Hill, especially for those vulnerable Republicans. I caught up with those vulnerable Republicans and I asked them about moving forward on this impeachment inquiry. They, as Mariana said, they are signaling they are open to moving forward, to green lighting this, to voting for the inquiry, but actually charging the president with high crimes or misdemeanors, which is an incredibly high bar. It's only done a handful of times in the history of this country. That is a much different proposition, especially as a lot of Republicans are still saying, do we have the evidence yet to prove that he acted corruptly? I have said before and I'll say again, I think the American people deserve the right to know answers to questions. However, I really also believe that we need to continue to focus on the priorities that we had coming into the co this Congress. I'm very comfortable with the impeachment inquiry at this point. You think your constituents want you to be pursuing an impeachment inquiry? I don't believe this is an issue of my constituents or the political effects. This an inquiry is so much different than an impeachment. I don't think so. This is just, we're trying to get the facts. You know, Jen Kiggins from Virginia was interesting there because she said that, yeah, I want, we're going to answer those questions, but I also believe that we need to focus on the priorities we had coming into this Congress, not necessarily impeachment for some of those moderate members. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think there, there is a strategy that says this is good for the base and it's good for Donald Trump and maybe that's enough. I don't think this is a strategy that's aimed at helping the Republicans in vulnerable House seats who are on the bubble. It's clearly not. Their fate is not taking priority over kind of a national messaging campaign, which is that if this is a general election standoff, again, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you're looking at two presidents. You would be looking at two presidents who had faced impeachment, you know, rather than one. And that's ultimately, at the end of it, what this is all about. There's, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how it's going to end, and I understand why vulnerable Republicans are frustrated about it. And again, what swing voters have been telling us consistently for months is that they don't think there's any merit or any case for impeaching Joe Biden. Uh, but at the same time, the polling pretty consistently shows in this sort of loose, nebulous way that a majority of Americans think that President Biden probably had something to do with helping his son with foreign clients or something in Ukraine. They don't exactly know what. There's division about whether it was illegal, but there's a general sense that something unethical probably happened. And that's what Republicans yeah. are leaning and, into. And sometimes they just want the cloud. They want Some of the Republicans say, will frankly say, we can't go down the road to having a vote for impeaching him, actually, because we may not have the votes. But if the cloud is over there, that could be beneficial politically. Oh, 100%. I think that's what a lot of this is about, which is the messaging around it. And you're totally right, Margaret, that I mean, time and time again, we've seen these investigations happening in the House not be able to find any direct connection between what Joe Biden is doing is being corrupt or being directly linked to some of the things that they're finding with these payments. But the questions and having the discussion about Joe Biden, potentially, you know, there being wrongdoing there, what Hunter is doing, all of the, you know, the, the women and the drugs and now this indictment. I mean, that is the message that they are pushing and yeah. they think it does help them because it also continues to taint the image 
of Joe Biden yeah. and his presidency yeah. and the migrant. Whether or not the facts bear it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not we're talking, the facts are we're there. We're talking sheer politics right exactly. now. Exactly. Look, there are huge issues still looming in Congress. And this is a consequential week, not just because there's a vote to impeachment inquiry. It's a very serious issue, but also the issue about how, what are they going to do about Ukraine? What are they going to do about Israel funding. You, there's a debate now in the Senate about tightening immigration laws. Republicans are saying that needs to be first. We need to deal with that first before they'll agree to green light more funding to Ukraine. Democrats say Israel needs to tie, be tied to Ukraine. You can see the mess that is happening right now on the Hill. What are the leaders of this effort? The Senator Murphy of Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He was he's a key negotiator here. He didn't sound too optimistic about where things stand in these talks. Right now, Republican demands are unreasonable. They don't actually get Democratic votes. Uh, if I were a cynic, I would say that Republicans have decided to tie support for Ukraine to immigration reform because they want Ukraine aid to fail. We are not going to solve the entire problem of immigration between now and the end of the year, but we can make a down payment. Look, but if there's a small agreement on immigration, House Republicans aren't going to go for that. They need to, they don't want a watered down deal on immigration. They really want what they passed in the House, which is not going to fly with Democrats. Absolutely. It's just not going to happen. And that's something that you've, we've heard for a while from Democrats and Republicans. It seems like this supplemental fight on Israel, especially after the State Department also greenlit sending more tanks to Israel, there's a little less incentive to act immediately on Israel right now. And on Ukraine, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And listen, Either everything can happen in one week left in D.C. on Capitol Hill yeah. or nothing at all. They yeah. are going to have to address Pentagon funding. It seems like yeah. that's going to happen. It, it, but the margins are very narrow in the House. Yeah. So that's a decision for Johnson. All signs are pointing to punt into the new year. And the White House has warned that would kneecap Ukraine at this critical moment. We'll see what happens. Okay, coming up, Democrats are sounding the, the alarm over President Biden's fracturing support as he heads into 2024. Will he be able to rebuild his coalition? President Biden is heading into an election year walking a tightrope. His approval rating is standing at a dismal 37%, and he's working hard to convince voters to consider the alternative. He told big donors at a high-priced fundraiser last night, you're the reason why Donald Trump is not only a former president, but a defeated former president, calling Trump a threat to democracy. And he said this on Friday. Trump just talks the talk. We walk the walk. Look, he likes to say America's a failing nation. Frankly, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I see shovels on the ground, cranes in the sky, people hard at work rebuilding America together. But at the same time, the president is angering progressives with his handling of the Israel-Hamas war, immigration, and a host of other issues. Yet moving too far to the left would put off those moderates who he needs in those key battleground states. Our panel is back here. Uh, Margaret, one of those crucial states is Michigan. I spoke to Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell about Biden's coalition and how he needs to keep that together. She's frankly concerned about that. You worried, though, about like, Muslim voters, in particular in Michigan? Yes, I'm, I'm not only worried about them. I'm also worried about young people and energizing them. I'm worried about the union workers. What we have to do is do a good job of telling the story of what Joe Biden has delivered and drawing the contrast. Mm -hmm. Michigan is going to be one of ground zero. It's going to be one of the most competitive states. But this time, people believe me.
Does, does, do they believe them? Uh, actually, agree. Michigan is going to be a hugely important state because of the Arab American vote and and the African American vote and the young people vote and yep. the union vote and Gretchen Whitmer and abortion rights and all the stuff on both sides is going to come in. The um, if you're a, a Democratic leader, the great thing about sort of being the big tent party is that if people turn out to vote, you have the ability to put together huge, wide coalitions, right? The problem with the big tent party is that what's really important to one person can really turn off another person and vice versa. And this combination of geopolitics and the economy uh, is going to be is proving to be really, really tough for Joe Biden yeah, and, right now. And you're talking about black voters. That is, he did great with black voters in 2020. 87 percent of the vote he carried, in, according to exit polls. Now, polling now shows his favorability among black voters at 47 percent. Obviously, that's a big problem for him. The Biden team recognizes that, though, clearly, and they have some targeted ads going after this key voting bloc. When Joe Biden started passing laws, like the Infrastructure Plan and the Inflation Reduction Act, that was really huge for us. The policies and things that he puts in place are striving to make a difference for things that matter. How to put food on the table for our kids and our families. How to get the next job. How to skill up. Joe Biden is actually doing stuff that helps everyday people. President Joe Biden has got our backs because he's not only thinking about our present, but also our future. That ad's running in Detroit, Philadelphia, the Milwaukee areas, and on black-owned TV and digital properties. Clearly, they recognize that they need to rebuild that coalition that they took over to the White House in 2020. Yeah, uh, I think it's a big problem, and I, I agree with you. I think they recognize, and that's why you're seeing these ads. It's also something, just from my conversations with um, former President Donald Trump's team, that they also recognize. And they are going very hard after these voter blocks as well, Hispanic voters, black voters. Um, one thing that they tell me that they see working very well for Trump's campaign is um, the indictments and the legal battles mm -hmm. he's facing. That's actually something that they see as helping boost, particularly among these different types of voters. And that's why you're hearing the democracy argument. You mentioned mm -hmm. uh, immigration. That's a key issue as we head into uh, the election year. This is also a concern about Hispanic voters as well. This, but, you know, you go too far on one side, you anger another side. I talked to Senator Mark Kelly, who represents the border state of Arizona. He had a suggestion for the president to be a little bit more aggressive on the border, try to take it off the table of sorts actually go to the border and see it for yourself do you think that the president should go down there again and may see from his own eyes what's going on well i think in general it's good to see things you know firsthand um he does have a you know staff that's you know working on this issue but this remains a crisis is it a vulnerability for him well i mean that's uh you know it's going to be up to his team to, to figure out, but I will say that this is a crisis and it's been a hard problem to manage. I mean, how problematic for him politically is the, what's happening at the border for the president? I mean, anytime you have Democrats, and I believe the Arizona governor actually sent a letter to Biden saying, please do something. She's one of many Democratic governors who are now saying this. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the administration has been saying, oh, well, you know, we've told Congress they can give us more border security money, things like that. But to the senator's mm -hmm. point, Biden showing up, Biden actually being more proactive about this, not just surrogates, could maybe just change the conversation a little bit because Republicans have such a hold on this. Yes, argument. and look, there seems to be concern about the White House about elevating that too much, but even as it's clearly a vulnerability for him. Another vulnerability, as we mentioned, young voters, progressive voters in particular. One of the progressive senators, I asked him about this as well, about the, why Biden is struggling with those key voters. Well, there are, there are concerns, and uh, a lot of that is around uh, climate change. 
and the fact that the administration continues to greenlight a lot of fossil fuel uh, projects. How worried are you that this could hurt his ability to win re-election? Well, I think it's a very uh, significant concern, yes. Both on climate and on his handling of Israel? Yes. Uh, I don't think you're going to see young voters surprise us all by turning out in droves for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. The concern is, stay, is young voters staying home. Is the concern for Democrats. And I think with a lot of these groups we've been talking about, young voters, African-American voters, Arab-American voters, um, it, what the Biden team is, is trying to do is turn the conversation to say, this is not a referendum against what you hoped Biden would be versus what Biden is. This mm -hmm. is going to be a test, an, an option between Biden and Trump. And yeah. whether you're voting for Trump or whether you stay home is still a vote for Trump. That yeah. is the argument they are, want to be making to these folks. Yeah. You don't like the way I've handled the Middle East. What do you think Donald Trump would do? And does that convince them to not to stay home, to not stay home, and to go to the polls? Huge question for the Biden team. All right, coming up, what does the government really know about UFOs? Some members of Congress are trying to shed light on those tantalizing secrets. That's next. For years, UFO enthusiasts and others have accused the federal government of hiding what it knows about unexplained aerial phenomena in our sky. And now, critics say Congress is poised to stifle efforts to actually answer that question. A bipartisan group of lawmakers has been calling for full disclosure of UFO sightings. One of them, Republican Congressman Tim Burchett. He had inserted an amendment in the annual defense policy bill that would have required the Pentagon to, quote, declassify any documents and records related to publicly known UFO sightings. But that language ultimately did not make it into the final version. And Burchett isn't happy about it, telling me, quote, they got screwed. Why are you pushing this? I just want disclosure. Since 1947, the federal government said they don't exist, but now we know they're spending millions upon millions of dollars uh, researching something that they claim doesn't exist. I'm not talking about little green men or fine saucers. I just want disclosure. And I think the American public deserves that if we're putting our hard-earned dollars in. Why do you think they're blocking you? I think it's a cover-up. I think there's something else going on. I think there's technology there and other things that, that our um, industrial war complex is profiting from. Now, over in the Senate, the Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Republican Mike Rounds also pushing for more disclosure. But this year's defense bill does not go as far. While the bill would require the government to disclose the sightings to the National Archives, eventually some of those becoming public, it does give federal agencies and the president significant latitude to keep such sightings classified. Why? The congressional source says it was House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner who resisted the push for greater disclosure. His office did not respond to our request for comment, and the Pentagon, meanwhile, declined to comment. So the mystery continues. Okay, that's it for Inside Politics Sunday. Thanks again for sharing your Sunday morning with us. See you next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season... 
we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.